Your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired Word of God. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious." May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. I have a quotation from the Reverend Thomas Watson. Uh, I know that many of you enjoy reading Thomas Watson. I do myself. I I find that his uh, homey illustrations are uh, most arresting and memorable. So Thomas Watson says it this way. When we do not, as we ought, submit to God's will in affliction... Or when do we not, as we ought, submit to God's will in affliction? Answer, number one, when we have hard thoughts of God and our hearts begin to swell against him. Number two, when we are so troubled at our present affliction that we are unfit for duty, we can mourn as doves but not pray or praise God. We are so discomposed that we are not fit to hearken to any good counsel. They hearkened not to Moses for anguish of spirit. Israel were so full of grief under their present burdens that they minded not what Moses said, though he came with a message from God to them. They hearkened not to Moses for anguish of spirit. Or number three, we do not submit to as we ought to God's will when we labor to break loose from affliction by indirect means. Many, to rid themselves out of trouble, run themselves into sin. When God hath bound them with the cords of affliction, they go to the devil to loosen their bands. Better is it to stay in affliction than to sin ourselves out of affliction. Oh, let us learn to stoop to God's will in all afflictive providences. It's well said, isn't it? So we've been talking about tasting that the Lord is gracious, and sometimes we we tend to learn by opposites. So sometimes good teachers will teach us things by teaching us their opposite first. And that's what we looked at last week and will continue to do so, Lord willing, this week. We said that there is a tasting of the Lord that is not a gracious tasting. And we set that forth, didn't we, in that there are times in our relationship with the Lord, in our service before him, that we're tempted to think hard thoughts of God. And we used as that, uh, as a basis for understanding there, that that parable in Matthew 25, where you have the the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent given to three different servants. And the one servant, when the Lord returned, that was given the one talent, he said, well, I knew that you were a hard man, austere. You, You reap where you didn't sow. You pick up where you didn't lay down. And so I just thought I'd give back to you what you gave me. Right? He had hard thoughts of his master. He had no confidence in his mercy. He thought of him only as austere. And so in five points last week, we moved uh, into the introduction of that topic. 
We said that uh, many do not reckon the mercy and kindness of God in their lives, but instead think of God as a hard taskmaster requiring unjust things. So we looked at some specifics then after that, after we introduced that topic. The first specific we said that hard thoughts of God generally consist in a legal performance. That is, if we're into merit religion, if we're into a quid pro quo from God, that will devolve eventually into thinking hard thoughts of God because we'll never get paid in the way that we think we should get paid. You know, And so we'll, we'll, we'll begin to think of God as unjust or unfair, just like the man did in that parable. The second is we said that when we're uh, under the Lord's chastisements, any kinds of affliction, there are times when we are tempted to think hard rather than childlike loving thoughts toward God, right? So sometimes afflictive providences, chastising providences, we will, we, will, uh, we will not trust that God knows what he's doing. We'll say, like Cain did, oh, my punishment is more than I can bear. Or like Saul did, I'm never going to give up the kingdom, no matter what, right? Whereas we said of Saul that, if Saul would only have thought, and of course we know all this is handled in the sovereignty and providence of God, but as we look at it from the human side, we might make this conjecture. If Saul would have only thought, God says he's going to take the kingdom away, you know what? That's good for me then. That's how I should think. I should think I need to give it up. Lord, help me prepare my successor. Who would you have to rule instead of me? This will be my salvation, right? If God says I'm going to take something away from you, you remember the old... It, illustration that I gave when I had my first back surgery I was meditating on that and I said you know there's this thing that we call turning corners we're never going to turn back right so you turn a corner and you say oh I could never live without fill in the blank I could never live out without my eyesight never and you turn that corner your eyesight's gone you find out you're still alive you thought you couldn't live but, but really you can and, the, and then you, you think well I could never live without my right arm you turn another corner and your right arm's gone. You know? And you turn corner after corner after corner after corner until you learn that the only thing you could never live without is Christ. Aside from that, you could do without a lot, right? Okay, so in the Lord's chastisements, many times we are tempted to think hard thoughts of Him. Third, we said, la or sorry, second, no, third is correct. Third, uh, doubting the Lord's provision and care, right? Uh, he, he withholds things from us sometimes, and we think of him then as hard or cruel. Uh, like the uh, folks said in Malachi chapter 3, Oh, uh, the Lord has forsaken us. The Lord has forsaken us. He's not providing for us. You remember what does the Lord say to them? Bring all the tithe into my storehouse and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so big you'll never be able to receive it all. Right? It's not that I've forsaken you. It's that I'm teaching you. I'm patiently teaching and condescending to you in, in these things rather than judging you. I'm bringing these, these deprivations upon you for your good. And then the final thing we looked at last week is that there are times when we obey the Lord and we suffer for it in persecution and in deprivation. 
Remember what Jesus said to Peter. Peter asked the question, Lord, we have forsaken all to follow thee. What shall we have then? And what does Jesus say? He'll say, no one has, has lost lands or families or houses or family members or loved ones and so on and will not be recompensed in this life and then so much more in the next. Right? But sometimes under those losses, because of obedience, right? We've, we've obeyed the Lord and that obedience has been the genesis of estrangement or deprivation. And we are sometimes minded to think hard thoughts of God. He's a poor provider. He does not take care of his own even when they obey. And so we thought of that last week. So I have a few more of those to bring to you this week for this week's sermon. I have uh, three of them. Uh, four last week, three this week, seven in total. So <clears throat> here's another temptation to think hard thoughts of God. Let's go ahead and walk through this for a moment. When we persevere long in prayer or are tempted to quit because we believe that God does not hear, this is another hard thought of God. Impatience in prayer can lead to hard thoughts of God himself, can't they? Lord, I, I have prayed for this and prayed for this and prayed for this and, and you know, I've worn out. I'm not praying for it anymore. I, it seems that the heaven is brass in this, that the Lord is not hearing me. Beloved, those are hard thoughts of God and sinful thoughts of him. How does Jesus put it? Let's turn to Luke chapter 18 for a moment. As one of our brethren said, we can see that all of these things, all seven of them, as we roll them all out, that they're all in one sense or another connected, aren't they? That there's an overlap between them. This is a species of a sort of merit religion. Lord, I prayed and prayed and prayed and you haven't answered. Certainly I've earned an answer. Right? Verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 1 of chapter 18. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying... There was in a city a judge which feared not, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. It's a fascinating parable, isn't it? The Lord condescends so deeply in this parable that he will, he will authorize, if you will, a comparison between himself and an unjust judge, won't he? Here's an unjust judge. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't fear man. He's, in the, in the words of some of our, uh, our own countrymen, he's a self-made man. He, he doesn't answer to anybody. Nobody puts him to fright or fear. He's not beholden. He has nobody over him. 
Not even God. He doesn't even fear God. Yet, because he doesn't want the trouble of this widow coming to him day by day, week by week, month by month, he will. He will give her what she wants if for no other purpose than for his own convenience. Now, we're not to transfer that kind of sinful attitude to God because then Jesus will turn and he will say, if that judge will do that, shall not God avenge his own? His own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. That's interesting, isn't it? What does Jesus mean by bearing long with them? Beloved, when you ask the Lord for something, um, we, we know this about God, don't we? He's omniscient. He never forgets that we've asked for something. But he bears long with us asking again and again and again. Even if we descend into thinking hard thoughts of him, maybe I didn't ask right the first time. Maybe my request wasn't put in proper order. Maybe he's not answering me because I've done something wrong in my prayer. Right? And thinking those substandard thoughts of him, notice the Lord for his part bears long with our repeated requests, doesn't he? We ought not to think such thoughts of God. Notice it says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. And by speedily there, what we mean is that he will avenge us before we ever deserve it. Because, beloved, do we really deserve to be avenged? We really don't, do we? Do we really deserve to have this affliction removed? No, the Lord will avenge us as speedily as conduces to his glory and our good. And not a second, not a nanosecond longer than that. And so what we are to learn here from our Lord Jesus is that when we rest long in prayer and wrestle with God more and more, and when we go for years and years, we've all met those ladies that have prayed for their their wayward children for decades, haven't we? And they have prayed and they have prayed and they have prayed. Their fathers as well. They have prayed and they have prayed and they have prayed. And they have prayed without wearing out. Why is that? Because they refuse to entertain hard thoughts of God. They heard the words of Christ in Luke 18. They understand what the word importunance means or persistence in prayer and that God is not put to the worse actually what he does is he bears long with us when we ask over and over again and that's thinking kindly of God that he is bearing long with us isn't it <coughs> rather than oh he's not he's never going to he's never going to do what i've asked beloved we must tur- we must uh, not turn our prayers into a lever that Uh, with which we try to move God, we must remember humility, patience, perseverance, persistence, no matter what his answers or want of answer. When we wait long for the Lord's answer, it could be that we are asking amiss. In other words, we must turn 
those criticisms back upon ourselves rather than thinking hard thoughts of God. James will tell us in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he will say what? You don't have because you don't ask. You have not because you ask not. Or, he will say, you ask and have not because you ask amiss that you may spend it upon your own lusts. And so in that case, the Lord denies us our prayers for our good. Again, we're thinking high thoughts of God, not low thoughts of God. And James helps us with that. There are many passages of Scripture that show us that our prayers can be off the mark. And so we ought rather to bring this principle home to ourselves rather than being quick to think hard thoughts of God. Um, Turn to Psalm 66. Verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You see, times are that we might think that the Lord isn't hearing us and we would transfer that to Him rather than what the psalmist does here. Um, That is searching his own heart to see whether or not there is some iniquity held up or bound up in his heart that would indeed prevent the Lord from an answer to prayer. In Proverbs chapter 1, there's another very affecting uh, statement concerning prayers that are not answered. We'll not take the time to read the whole thing, but 20 through 33 is the passage It begins with wisdom crying out in the streets. And she says, turn you at my reproof. Verse 23, I'll pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. But then notice verse 24, because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. You've set at naught all my counsel. With none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as a desolation and your destruction cometh as whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, and so on. Beloved, there are times when our prayers are not answered, not because of God's failure to hear us, or even failure to be favorable toward us. We must not transfer those hard thoughts to him, but turn those guns back upon ourselves and ask whether or not there is some deficiency in us, what we're asking for, how we're asking, what the motivation behind those prayers are. And then if all of those things are in place, still we continue to think high thoughts of God that he has some unknown answer that is yet held in abeyance for those prayers and we continue in persistence confident in his mercy and kindness if we have quote tasted that the Lord is gracious kind and so we go on with that savor of God in our mouths when we pray right so uh, Jeremiah chapter 11 11 through 14 is the same kind of place 
There are many places in Scripture that reveal to us that unanswered prayers are never a cause to think hard thoughts of God, but as an occasion for us for self-examination and repentance. It is a time, as we saw in James, to reflect upon our own motivations in prayer. Is this prayer for the glory of God? Is it for the advancement of His name? Or is it for our own convenience? Is it for our own glory or joy? Is it for our own lusts, as it says in James 4? It says that the Lord hears and avenges speedily in Luke 18. Yet He may for His own purposes deliver when the time is exactly right. We want to look then for the early loving kindness of the Lord. We must walk by faith and not by sight in these difficult times of seeming silence from the Lord. Look at Psalm 46 with me for a moment. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, Will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Salah. So notice we're continuing to think high thoughts of God, even in the midst of trouble. And what does early mean there? Well, early can mean all kinds of things. Early can simply mean there that God will help in a timely fashion before these calamities or these destructions work in a way that they cannot be overturned and brought to joy. Let's also look at Psalm 143, verse 7. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth, Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like those that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift my soul unto thee. You see the resolve of David in that psalm there. Hear me speedily. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. That's the kind of early that we're talking about here. It's not perhaps that specific deliverance that we're asking for. It's the Lord's loving kindness early. That's the early that we look for. That the Lord would sustain and keep us even in the midst of long prayer over a long time without what we think a right answer is. That we would hear his loving kindness in the morning. You know, Jeremiah himself knew this temptation. We're going we're gonna to hopefully learn a few things from Jeremiah today. In Lamentations chapter 3, <clears throat> remember the occasion for the writing of, the, of Jeremiah's Lamentations. Jerusalem has been destroyed around him. Remember that? Notice verse 8. 
Well, I'll tell you what. Let's begin back in verse 1. I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he has turned. He turneth the hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy also. When I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. If this was all that Jeremiah said here, wow, we would, we would not know how to handle that. We would be perplexed. But like the psalmist, Jeremiah will show himself faithful as the chapter progresses. The chapter will turn, won't it? And we'll look at that in a little while. But notice we see another very affecting passage in verse 44. Verse 42, We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain. Thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Jeremiah does not say this thinking hard thoughts of God. Jeremiah thinks th- says this while thinking high thoughts of God. He has again turned those guns back upon himself and his people. Our prayers are not going through this thick cloud, but the thick cloud is a cloud of God's judgment that we have well deserved and well earned. Well, Lamentations chapter 3 is just a wondrous passage teaching us these things. And we'll look at the resolution of that in our next set. Related to this is other spiritual service. Uh, thinking hard thoughts of God. Say in fasting. The people of God do that also, don't they, in Scripture. We're, we, we see in Isaiah chapter 58. Remember that? Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Reveal unto my people their sins. And what do the people of God say? Wherein is it that we have fasted and you have not taken notice? Remember that? Isaiah 58. Other spiritual service. Lord, I prayed long. Lord, I have fasted. Lord, I put on sackcloth. And you haven't done anything about it. Thinking hard thoughts of God. What a contrast to the people in Isaiah 58 is the king of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3. Turn with me there. So, the end of chapter 2, the fish vomits Jonah up on the dry land. And what do you think the first word of the Lord is to Jonah after he comes out of the fish? Let's pick this up where we left it off. Away to Nineveh, right? I've got a plan for Nineveh and Jonah, you're my man. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. May I pull up there for a moment and say, word for word, pound for pound, the most effective sermon ever preached. 
just a few words, right? So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes and caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let every or let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Oh, that is a passage, isn't it? What a contrast to the people of God who said, we have fasted and you haven't taken notice. Here the king of Nineveh says, let's fast and throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Let us continue praying and throw ourselves upon the ready ear of God. Not with hard thoughts of him, beloved but with these gracious thoughts. Having tasted that the Lord is gracious, let us then proceed on to to that full draft. As we looked at Jeremiah in his temptation, let's look back at Jeremiah then in his resolution in Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 20. My soul hath them, that is the affliction and gall and difficulty, affliction. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Notice, first step. He makes use of that affliction by humbling himself. This I call, I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. You see what we're doing in this, when we begin to think those hard thoughts of God in prayer, is that we can't do without this thing that we're praying for. Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. That can never be taken from me. These are the high thoughts of God that we must maintain even in times that we pray and pray and fast and fast and we see no good result from it. If the result is only this, to getting us to turn to the Lord and to confess that He alone is our portion, is that not worth all the prayers and fasts that could ever be offered up? It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be, there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High, to subvert a man in his cause. The Lord approveth 
not. And so Jeremiah then is seeing a mercy upon mercy upon mercy, day upon day upon day, even in the midst of affliction and deprivation. All right, well, let's move on to the next one then. <clears throat> we, are, we are also tempted to entertain hard thoughts of God when we do not receive the spiritual blessings we, effect, we, we expected, such as freedom from temptation, victory over besetting sin, even when our Christian friends seem not to be troubled as we are, when it seems that, we, that even common blessings are withheld from us that we might expect from the Lord. These are times where we are tempted to envy. The Lord thinks more highly of others than me. The Lord blesses others and doesn't bless me. There is somehow injustice with God. He's promised and he hasn't yet fulfilled. Rather than, than thinking unkindly toward God, we must think graciously of Him. We must continue in hope. And instead of envying others' graces and benefits and thinking ill of God, we must then rejoice in every advancement of our neighbor and bless God for it. Turn to Romans chapter 14 with me for a moment. Him that is weak in the faith... Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not. And giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. For whether we live. We live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it naught, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, or for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or occasion to fall in his brother's way. Sometimes this hard thought of God uh, uh, tends toward favoritism. God blesses some more than others. We heard last week the parable of the workers in the vineyard, didn't we? Remember that parable? So one guy uh, has, a, has a vineyard and he wants to hire people, to, day laborers, to go work in his vineyard. And he goes out in the morning and he finds some. And he goes out in mid-morning he finds others. He goes out in the afternoon finds some or noontime. Then he finds some late in the day and he, and he brings them in. And they all labor. And we come now to the last guy who labored all day long in the field. And he sees that everyone got what he was promised, so he's thinking he's going to get more. 
Nope. Brand, I did you no wrong. Is your eye evil because I am because mine is good or generous? And so, beloved, when you yourselves are struggling with things and your neighbor, your Christian brother or sister is not, and you're tempted to envy, rather than thinking hard thoughts of God, think high thoughts of Him. Think of His generosity. Think of His magnanimity. Think of His blessing your brother and rejoice with your brother or sister at their gifts and graces and advancements rather than envying or being jealous of them. And rather than wondering, why doesn't God help me like that? And remember also, this is something I learned uh, from a guy a long time ago. He said that many times when we see such things like that, we are comparing people's outsides to our own insides. Isn't that true? Comparing people's outsides to our own insides. And sometimes we are tempted then to think that our brother or sister really, because they they present a face that is full of joy and rejoicing that they really don't have any difficulties when really they do. They they really do. And so when we don't receive then the spiritual benefit from the Lord that we thought we would, well, we must remember that there are times when the Lord keeps things even from the godly. And, once again, we want to turn those things back upon ourselves. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 5 with me for a moment. Verse 19. And it shall come to pass when you shall say, Wherefore doth the Lord our God all these things unto us? Sound familiar? That's what we're talking about, isn't it? Why has the Lord treated me like this? Then shalt thou answer them, Like as ye have forsaken me, and served strange gods in your land, so shall ye serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Declare this in the house of Jacob, and publish it in Judah, saying, Hear now this, O foolish people, without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me? saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it? But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. They thought hard thoughts of God. Why is the Lord treating us like this? Perhaps they thought a little more highly of themselves than they ought to have thought. We're we're the people of God. God is serving his people very poorly here. Rather than the confession that they ought to have had in verse 24, neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season, reserveth unto us the appointed weeks and the harvest. So, very often then... 
under uh, failed expectations of mercy, failed expectations of deliverance from sin, failed expectations of deliverance from temptation, often we are found uh, wondering why the Lord is treating us like this and the Lord would have us at such times examine ourselves instead. Turn with me to the prophet Joel for a moment. In chapter 2, sorry, chapter 1. Verse 8. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests, the Lord's ministers, mourn. The field is wasted, the land mourneth, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. Be ye ashamed, O ye husbandmen, howl, ye vine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, howl, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry unto the Lord, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off? Before your eyes, yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under the clods. The garners are laid desolate. Barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed, because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry. For the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also, Unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The Lord took much away from them, didn't he? And why did he take it away? Often because they had neglected it. We remember just a few years back when the worship services across this land were in large part stopped. Why were they stopped? Was there no one who could stand up and understand why they had stopped? Why the Lord put a stop to his worship? There's only a few places in scripture where we see the Lord actually commanding or demanding that. And that is when it has been perverted. Oh Lord, you've taken away our our solemn assemblies. The Lord says, yes, I have taken them away for your sins. Lord, we haven't received the blessings that we thought were coming. We haven't received victory over temptation we haven't received uh, uh, the spiritual blessings that we that we look for well perhaps the difficulty is not with god perhaps it is with us in romans chapter 7 and verse 24 the apostle paul in his plaintive cry he will say what O wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from this body of death. Notice that in his speech there is not one scintilla of a hard thought of God, only lamenting his own estate. 
And then he'll move on into chapter 8 and he will recall the blessings of God and how he will overcome even that body of death by the Spirit of God. Beloved, when we are deprived of spiritual victory, often that is occasion to think hard thoughts of God. Psalm 77 is another one of these, these passages that has that very clearly. Sometimes we sing Psalm 77 around the end of the year because the tune that we have it to in our Psalter is all blank sign. Remember that? In Psalm 77, uh, verses 1 through 9, finally uh, we come to to the pinnacle of that difficulty. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Salah. Well, that would be thinking hard thoughts of God, wouldn't it? But notice that the psalmist doesn't rest there. What does he say? And I said, this is my infirmity. This is my infirmity. All of this evil thought, all of this substandard thinking that I have toward God, all of these hard thoughts of God, they rise up out of my infirmity. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6-10 through 10, had a thorn in the flesh. Three times, he said, I besought the Lord that it might depart from me. And the Lord said, no. No. And so what did Paul say? God, he's not nice. Not at all. Nothing like that. What did he say? I will then rejoice in my infirmities. May I put it in the parlance of our sermon today? I will refuse to think hard thoughts of God. And I will know that when I am weak, then am I strong. I will learn to make a right use of every spiritual deprivation that I sense. If the Lord withholds something, beloved, it's because for you it needs withholding. And he has a wondrous plan, even in his withholdings. Rather than envy, rather than thinking hard thoughts of God. The final one, we'll have just a few minutes on this. We may uh, pick up a little bit of it next week if we don't get to it all. We have hard thoughts of God when we hear the world's sermon to us. What is the world's sermon to us? We deserve better or more. We deserve better. We deserve more. The Lord owes us more than what we have. Right? And we'll remember the words of Jeremiah. Let me get this out so we get it out there so that we don't forget because we're rushed for time. But what will Jeremiah say? We heard it in the prayer earlier today. Jeremiah will say, Wherefore doth the living man complain, being punished for his sins? If the wages of sin is death, beloved, and you're still alive, then the Lord has not punished you as you deserve. For your sins. Wherefore doth a living man complain? You're still alive, aren't you? Yes. Then there's opportunity for hope. Then there's opportunity for mercy. Then there's opportunity for confidence in the Lord's goodness, not hard thoughts against Him. But the world tells us that we deserve better. When we don't receive that better thing that the world preaches to us that we ought to have, We have hard thoughts of God for supposedly 
depriving us. This is a present temptation to us all, isn't it? I deserve better. Sometimes this comes by way of calling. I deserve a better calling than I have. Not content with our calling that God has given to us. Right? And so we complain about that we don't make enough money. Or in our calling, we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not actuated as we should be. We're not recognized as we should be. We're not given the strokes that we should have. Over and over again, we, we doubt of God's providence. We think God has made a mistake. We think less of God than we should because the world has told us that we're deserving of something that we don't have. Satan has whispered in our ears, right? Just like he whispered in God's ear a long time ago. Does Job serve God for naught? Are you serving for nothing? Are you serving for less than you deserve here? Does your employer not give you what you deserve? Does your calling not provide for you the satisfaction that you deserve? Well, this is to doubt of God's providence over you, that he has somehow made a mistake and put you in a calling that he should have put you somewhere else instead. Beloved, let us learn to praise God. I should have a different calling. I should make more money. I work harder than others. But if you worked toward the Lord, you wouldn't have that discontentment, would you? If your service was to God, like Colossians 3 tells us, that even the slave serving a believing master in the home serves the Lord Christ. And with that, all the contentment he needs. These complaints then finally rest at God's feet and his providential dealing. Is he not an all-powerful and completely just God? And does he not give us more than we deserve in every situation? Devolving then into murmuring and complaining, although a popular remedy speaks of distrusting the Lord. We do not labor to be noticed, but to serve the Lord in our calling. Let us not then be weary in well-doing. And let us remember that the Lord sees all and receives through Christ Jesus even those, uh, those services. Sometimes it pertains to the family. We think hard thoughts of God because our spouses, our children, our parents, etc. are not what we think they should be. And so we think that God has afflicted us in our new relations. Hear William Googe. But the spiritual love grounded upon the consideration of God's ordinance is firm and constant. And lasteth always, because they consider that God hath joined them together. And so, because she is my wife, because he is my husband, etc. Therefore, they love one another. That God doesn't make mistakes like that. He doesn't put you in the, quote, wrong family. He puts you in exactly the family that you need to be in for his saving purposes in your lives. The trials that... You know, as the old bumper sticker used to say, uh, insanity is hereditary. You get it from your kids. You remember that, right? All the trials that children bring to you, parents. All the trials that parents bring to you, children. All the trials that husbands and wives bring to one another. Those are trials ordained by the Lord. Rather than thinking hard thoughts of Him in our near relations, we must think, Highly of him. 
We must learn not to, not to doubt of his provision even in our families. It might be our financial state in this world. I don't have enough money. God has not blessed me with all that I need. Well, that is certainly a sermon that has come from the world. Because God has promised to give you everything you need and more. And whenever we think along those lines, well, we think hard thoughts of God. These, all of these complaints generally come to rest at the feet of God and His providence. We think hard thoughts of Him or we refuse thankfulness. We're always looking over the fence at something that belongs to another rather than remembering what we have right before us as God's gift. But more, when the wicked turn from the Lord, they mock His kindness, they spend His gifts upon their own lusts, they are ungrateful and they murmur in, uh, they murmur of their estate. Should we have thought, hard thoughts of God when we realize that the wages of sin is death? Obviously not. When this kind of high treason of God is visited with temporal and then even eternal judgment, should we complain against Him and think hard thoughts of Him? Is it not the wicked servant who thought God a hard taskmaster, austere and unjust, reaping where he did not sow? Rather, we ought to have the mindset of Jeremiah. We turn back to Lamentations and we'll close with this. Lamentations chapter 3 once again. Verse 15. Let's not go to verse 15. Let's go to 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Let's go to verse 37. Who is he that saith, and it cometh not to pass, when the Lord commanded it not? Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good, Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain and hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself uh, with a cloud that our prayer should not pass over, thou hast made us as the offscouring and refuse in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare come upon us, desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission till the Lord look down. And behold, from heaven. Verse 55. I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thine ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou drawest near in the day, or drewest near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou saidst, fear not. O Lord, thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. You see, beloved? even in the midst of the city being destroyed around him, and even that, for the sins of the people, Jeremiah can turn and think high thoughts of God. So these last three then, when we spend long in prayer and other religious service, 
and see no fruit, let us not think hard thoughts of God. When we are tempted to entertain thoughts of God, we do not receive the spiritual blessings that we expected or the benefits that are indeed promised eventually to the people of God. Let us not think hard thoughts of God. And when we have listened to the world's sermon that we deserve better or more and do not receive it, let us not think hard thoughts of God. Next week we'll begin with thinking gracious thoughts of God and how we can turn in every situation to the Lord and call upon his name and rest our case with him and how we might trust in his promises that in his due time when he has exhausted all of his work upon us, he will, just as he did with Job, turn, turn, and turn our estate, and it will be better for us in the end than it was before our afflictions. Let's stand and call upon the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come unto thee, O Lord, we confess that we are often tempted. We are tempted to think hard thoughts of thee. And then at times in thinking those hard thoughts, when we are apprised that that is, that we have run afoul of thy, of thy commandment, O Lord, we confess that there are times also in our anger and in our rebellion, we're ready to cross our arms and refuse repentance. We thank thee, Lord, that even at such times as that, that we might look unto thee, that we might look unto thee for thy mercy, that in thy mercy thou wilt indeed turn up the pressure of affliction until we can indeed do nothing else but call upon thy name. O Lord, we thank thee for the faithfulness that thou dost exhibit as our Father, that no matter the deprivation or loss, no matter the temptation to think hard thoughts of thee, that there is always a way of escape from that temptation. Whether it be our own sin, whether it be our own impatience, whether it be envy or jealousy, whether it be covetousness or desiring things thou hast withheld from us in thy mercy. Lord, deliver us from thinking hard thoughts and help us then to taste as Peter tells us, that thou art gracious and to go on past the taste to a full draft of thy goodness, even in times where in our lesser estate we would be tempted to think hardly of thee. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.